Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, March 8th, we are studying Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. A Sabbath meal at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees affords Jesus more opportunities to challenge their incorrect assumptions concerning the kingdom of God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor John Busman. Pastor Busman serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks so much for having me and blessings to all of you out there as we have begun this season of Lent. Pastor Busman, as we get started, let's talk a little bit of context. What should we know from the first 13 chapters of Luke leading up to chapter 14 that'll help us with the text today? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Luke does have a little bit different of, a, of an approach with his gospel as he is uh, seeking to proclaim the gospel really to these uh, Gentile Christians to, to shore them or firm them up uh, in their faith as they are, you know, maybe not coming from that Old Testament background like the Jewish Christians were. So uh, where, where he's not so much quoting directly from the Old Testament, he is following a very specific pattern very specifically through uh, the Exodus and through Isaiah chapters 40 and 55. So there are quite a few undertones as, as he as he goes along that might not be so evident during a first read-through, but as these Gentiles become more familiar with God's people and what has happened to them throughout the Old Testament, those things begin to pop out through the gospel. There are several themes that are that are carried throughout that will appear here in the text some being with honor and shame, uh, the lowly being exalted and the, and the exalted uh, being brought low. So all of that is, is really uh, brought together here in this, in this chapter 14. You mentioned some of the undertones that are there, and I think you said from Exodus and from Isaiah as well. Exodus, I think we've, we haven't mentioned that book specifically, but that's kind of been in the background for a lot of the texts recently, ever since the Transfiguration, where Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah about his Exodus, and then the fact that since 951, Jesus has been, he's got his face set toward Jerusalem, he's been journeying. So those those Exodus themes have been there, even if we haven't always made it explicit. What about the the prophet Isaiah? What are some of the undertones that, that you see there in, in Luke? Oh, that's perfect. And, and you just brought one of them up, which which I can get to very, very momentarily. Uh, but already in, in chapter two, when the 40-day-old Jesus is mm-hmm. brought into the temple, we see Simeon waiting there for the, uh, the consolation of Israel with the Holy Spirit uh, being upon him waiting for the comfort, right? Isaiah 40 starts with comfort, comfort my people, says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and and so forth. And then Simeon's very own song, saying a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. This recalls the second servant song in Isaiah 49, where it's too light a thing, too easy a thing mm-hmm. for 
this second servant to be raised up to redeem only Jacob. He will send him as a light for the nation. So that's quoted there. And then that 951 where Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Uh, Luke is very intentional here with not saying that he's, oh, making his way to Jerusalem or anything like this, that he sets his face. That moves us then into the third servant song in Isaiah 50, where uh, it says of the servant that he sets his face as a flint. So you have that same phrase there. And of course, as Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, uh, it's it's he's going there to be, as he says, uh, beaten and and crucified. Of course, undertones more of the Exodus there in chapter eleven when he's speaking of the the finger of God, mm-hmm. right? Call, recalling the plagues and, and all of this. So, the more we read Luke, and uh, you know, I, I think there there's a lot of confusion here maybe or maybe it's just a lack of knowledge of the old testament where we can read luke and really identify with this because maybe maybe our knowledge of all of those texts aren't necessarily where they should be but the more we read the old testament and learn and understand it the more luke's gospel just really stands out and and pops to us yeah so all right well we got a chance to do that today in luke chapter 14 to make some of those connections to hear the good news from our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're Luke 14, beginning at the first verse. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And then he could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 11 of the text. Pastor Busman, the the setting for this text is a Sabbath day at a house of the Pharisees, and Jesus is eating there. Uh, just talk a little bit about that that setting that he's with Pharisees, he's eating, and then how they're you know watching him. It sounds like they don't have the best of intentions for Jesus. Yeah, and it's interesting too that no matter where Jesus goes or you know what he does as far as you know the eating or the actual worship on the Sabbath, Jesus doesn't condemn them for for you know gathering and, and doing these things the right way it is you know their intentions on the sabbath that are that are incorrect right you honor me with your lips but your hearts are far from me and they are watching him carefully do they have a malicious intent in this point you know this is another thing that that luke uh, does perhaps a little differently than the other gospel writers is even even the enemies in luke's gospel Sometimes he does give the benefit of the doubt to that maybe they are 
sitting back and inquiring and trying to figure out mm. a little more about who this Jesus is and, and what sort of tradition uh, he's coming from. So they're watching him carefully. Maybe they're just trying to figure him out a little bit. Maybe they're not necessarily trying to, to trap him in this point. Now, they're going to remain silent. They're not going to, to know, you know how to answer, and their intention will be revealed in the end as malicious. But whether it is here or not isn't necessarily isn't necessarily clear. At least it's not to me. Yeah, and I, I think that that that's fair because Luke isn't as, as specific here as he is, say, in other places. You know, the beginning of chapter fifteen, the Pharisees and scribes there, when they're watching Jesus eating with other people, they're going to grumble. Here, right, they're they're right. watching him and they're eating with him. Which I mean, just talk a little bit about that, if you would, because that seems to be the setting that really is going to tie together not only what I just read but the rest of the text as well. The thought of eating with with others. What's the significance of that? Well, you're joining into you're joining into fellowship with these people. It's you know the Sabbath is bigger than this is maybe where our understanding too is a little bit limited as Christians in the 21st century is what is the Sabbath and and what is all of that about? Uh, you know, keeping it distinguished between the actual law of God and and their tradition, which we'll get into momentarily. But it was the the Sabbath and everything around it was bigger than just you know quote unquote going to church. Right. Uh, for an hour or two, it was, it was the entire the entire period of the Sabbath, uh, worshiping together. That is praying and singing and hearing from the rabbis, and also and also dining together and continuing that conversation there. So all of this is in the larger, um, I guess, context concerning that day. But but Jesus is kind of in this house seemingly in fellowship with these Pharisees, and that's what's going to be revealed uh, when their intentions are, are are different, I guess, once Jesus opens his mouth and begins to speak. So the, the setting for Jesus then opening his mouth is the presence of this man who has dropsy. It's Verse 3, I find interesting the way it's phrased. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees. It, it sounds like that he's he knows what they're thinking, even though that Luke doesn't make it explicit. Jesus knows what's going through the minds of the Pharisees, and he responds to that without their even saying it out loud, which certainly fits with things that Jesus has done elsewhere in the gospel. But what what's the what's the deal with the man with dropsy, and then Jesus asking the question about what's lawful concerning healing on the Sabbath? Okay, so dropsy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure every time this this text <laughs> uh, comes up in the lectionary. It comes up, you know, right away. What is dropsy? That's right. <laughs> it's it's edema. It's swelling of the skin due to um, due to fluid here. But you know, it's really Jesus knows what they're thinking. As you said, we see this all these other places in the in the Bible in the Gospels where the Pharisees will say something in their heart, and Jesus responds to it. So, yeah, they don't say anything, but Jesus responds to the the thoughts of their heart here and asks. You know, are we just going to leave this guy here or what? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And Jesus puts them in a very interesting situation. And, you know, not all of the rabbis necessarily agreed on specific practices. One rabbi might say one thing and one rabbi might say another thing. And this is really where we get the tradition of the elders developing for the people. Right, and we have several sources for this. We have uh, the Mishnah, which was, you know, already beginning to develop 
you know, very, very early, uh, written down already, I guess, what, as early as the second century uh, and, and continuing on through the, uh, through, the, through the time. But is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? One rabbi might say so, and another rabbi might say not. Mm. So, you know, he's kind of putting them in this situation where they're not going to be upset with Jesus, but they might end up de- debating themselves if they, if they start to answer here, mm. and they they can't. Right. So, so they're they, silent. Right. So they're silent. Uh, but then Jesus takes that as an opportunity to just go ahead and do and answer the question himself. Exactly. You know, because he actually does heal him. And then to their silence, you know, they've watched him answer the question visibly. Then he's going to explain to them why this is okay with an example. It sounds similar to something Jesus brought up in the previous chapter when he healed someone on the Sabbath. He had he'd healed a woman who had a disabling spirit back in Luke 13. There were some questions there. Here, without in the silence, though, Jesus uses a similar example. He heals, and then he says, well, what if you have a son or an ox won't you pull him up? What's the point Jesus is making? And then maybe what's, what are the Pharisees thinking there? Because again, they're silent. So maybe do you have any info on that, that tradition that would have been behind the question Jesus asks? Sure. And, and, it, and it is a very, very interesting thing that, that Jesus says, because what he's presenting them with seems clear, right? If you have a son or an ox, you're not just going to leave them in the well and say, well, we're you know, wait, wait for sundown. I'll be back. You know, just stay safe. It seems so obvious to us the response that we would have for an animal or a person in need. But in the uh, second division of the Mishnah in speaking specifically on the Sabbath, it says that you cannot transport an object from one domain to another you can't Hmm. you can't move from here to there so that would be moving from the well to to out of the well so it it speaks against that but more interesting than that to me is uh was a document found in qumran in the dead sea scrolls Hmm. the in the damascus document it says this in Uh, in reference to the Sabbath. Fascinating to me. It says, no man shall profane the Sabbath for the sake of riches or gain on the Sabbath day. But should any man fall into water or fire, let him not be pulled out with the aid of a ladder or rope or some such utensil so the damascus document within the dead sea scrolls will explicitly say if the if the guy is down in the well too bad you Mm. you can't you can't lift him out on the sabbath so the interesting thing to me there is jesus is presenting them with something that seems so obvious you have somebody or something in need it's obvious you would lift him out but they're sitting there having to kind of shrug and say well the tradition says no Mm. Yeah. So they can't, they can't say anything or else, you know, Jesus condemns them on the spot as, you, you know, you hate your neighbor. You know, you hate, you hate my creation. So they can't say anything. They're just dead silent here. Mm. 
So, and, and and again, this is one of those situations where maybe there's there's some disagreement among the various traditions. It sounds like at least one tradition, based on what you were reading from the the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Damascus document, that at least one would have a pretty clear cut. No, you can't do this. I suppose. I mean, if I and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but it sounded like from what you're reading. If the well was shallow enough, or the maybe the river was shallow enough, such that I could reach down with my hands, I could pull him up. But if I had to use a rope or a ladder, then he's he's out of luck. Was that the case? Right. And this and this could this could again go down a long way. Right. You could, according to some rabbis, I guess you could hire a gentile to lift him out because you could have certain rabbis said gentiles could do certain things for you and carry certain things, but you couldn't, and all of this. So it gets very very kind of complicated and weighed down, which is, again, why Jesus attacks the tradition so uh, so badly through the Gospels. It's because, you know, one says one thing, one says another, and they completely forget and forsake the law of God in loving and caring for their neighbor and trying to, trying to keep up with all these other things that they should do, which aren't biblical. Right. That's right. Yeah. And that's, that's the real problem is that they've taken the law of God and they've put that well into the background and they've bought, brought into the forefront their own traditions that have replaced the law of God and have, you know, I mean, in, in this case now, you, you're not only not honoring the Sabbath, which the, the right worship of God, but you're not loving your neighbor either. So you've, you've broken both tables of the law at once. And Jesus, through the healing of this man with dropsy, has shown them and now through his question has taught them the, the error of their ways. Once again, though, they're silent there. They're silent. And so, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, imagine this scene. They're, they're eating. The man is there. Jesus has healed him. There's the silence. He's taught them. There's more silence. And I, I guess it's, I mean, at least the way I'm reading is they kind of just, there was some silence. Maybe they went about their business eating more. And Jesus is, is watching the scene again, and now he picks up on something else that's going on. First, it was this man with dropsy, and now he's going to pick up on, well, where are people sitting? And he's going to tell this, this parable, is what it's called, about how to choose the places where you sit. And this starts to get into the honor shame that you mentioned toward the beginning. So talk a little bit about the, just the, the setting that Jesus is, is putting this parable in, people choosing their seats at a wedding feast. What's going on? Sure. Uh, again, we're, we're not kind of of this culture, uh, this honor and, and shame. So people would be kind of ordered according to how, quote unquote, honorable they were in in their society. So a rabbi would carry more honor than, say, a shepherd, just mm. just simply by being who he is. You know, certain people of a certain family would carry, uh, you know, specific honor. So when Jesus enters his own hometown and they say, and he says, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, right? When Jesus left Nazareth, he was a carpenter. And when he comes back, he is a rabbi and that demands more honor. But the, the conflict here is that there's only so much honor to go around. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not like everybody can have maxed out honor. It's more like you're, you're building a character in a video game where you have a hundred attribute points and you can only use so many for intellect and so many for strength or something like this. Uh, it, it's the same way in, in an honor and shame society. So if somebody sits in the, in a seat of more honor and all the seats are all of a sudden full and somebody with more honor comes in and the host says, Hey, um, <laughs> you need to give your seat to this person. He's not going to shift everybody else down. You you just have to go to the back of the line. Mm. So 
you know, it's, it's, it's up to the, to the master here, but he's seeing these Pharisees again, they're working on self-righteousness. They're working on public persona and appearance. So they just show up like, well, I'm, I'm going to be the most honorable here. Well, you don't know who's coming. <laughs> so you, you better be careful and, and show a little humility here. And that, that apparently was not going on with the Pharisees at all. No, not at all. I mean, it, that's the the situation. Jesus is watching how they're choosing the places of honor. And and I, as you said, and we know this from, from other places where Jesus critiques the Pharisees, that they, they all were looking for the best place. And so he's, I mean, just imagine everyone kind of like the first guy walks in, he goes to the best seat. And the next guy walks in and I imagine him kind of looking at the guy in the the best seat with maybe a, a bit of a, you know, a little disdain, but he takes the next best seat because he knows he can't just kick the other guy out. I guess part of the the key here is that there is this, this master of the wedding feast, the one who invited everybody, and he's the one that gets to choose who has honor and who has shame or who has more honor, who has less honor, maybe is the way to think about it. And it seems that that's what the Pharisees, or at least that's part of what the Pharisees have forgotten, is that the whole reason they're there at this banquet isn't because of something inherent with them, but it's because they've been invited in the first place. And and by seeking the best seat for themselves, they've tried to get the honor on their own rather than letting the one who's doing the inviting be the giver of honor or shame as he sees fit. I think that's one of the things that that's one of the the downfalls of the Pharisees in this case. They've forgotten the one who invited them in the first place. No, that's great. And, and as we also go in the gospels, we see the disciples kind of Uh, pick up on this game of the Pharisees as they argue over who's the greatest, right? Who's who should have that seat closest to Jesus until James and John actually go to him and say, grant us to sit one at your right when you come in your glory, right? They've got it all figured out and, and they, they just, you know, they haven't, they haven't listened, right? Only the master, only the master knows everyone who's been invited. Only the master knows who, who has, you know, what seat. And, you know, we need not fall into that trap either. The important thing is that you're at the feast, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, what seat you have. What matters is that you have a seat, and that he's and that he's called you, and that's you know I'm getting a little ahead of myself in the very next parable that he tells, but the feast itself is what's important. How you want to arrange yourself according to your, you know, man-made honor or playing the who's the greatest game isn't isn't what matters at all. It's Christ's feast, and and he's the one who orders it according to his will. I think that's a very helpful comment, you know, I mean, and because this is one of the, the struggles I suppose I have with, with this parable is that on the one hand, the, the story that Jesus tells about where you choose to sit and the chance of being told, hey, you're in the wrong seat, like even in a, a culture that maybe isn't as big on the honor shame dynamic. I can still I can still picture this happening today, even at a wedding. You know, if I go to a wedding and I sit at the, the head table Someone's going to tell me, hey, that's not your spot. And that's going to be embarrassing. So there's the, the earthly reality is very clear, I think, in this case. But, but help us even more. How does that earthly reality of what Jesus is saying? I mean, it sounds like just good advice for life. How does that then teach us about the kingdom of heaven? What's the, what's the comparison or what's the, what's the, how does that get to the kingdom of heaven? That's a great question. Uh, and, and 
I mean, it's the struggle. It's the struggle that we, we all have. I mean, we've all been, we've all been in the room where, you know, allegorically, I guess we've looked at the one who had dropsy, you know, and said, well, that, you know, that guy very clearly needs to be, you know, needs to be lower. I'm, I'm the one who has done this uh, or said that, and I deserve to be you know, kind of closer <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to Jesus here, right. In, in a place of honor. So it really is uh, for us, I guess, a lesson in, in humility mm. and letting, letting the word of Christ continue to dwell in us uh, richly and to, to, uh, to always, always take that lowest seat and to rejoice if, if Christ our Lord should say to us, friend, move up higher. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, but we, you know, it's, it's all part of, you know, I, I don't know, I don't want to be too, too harsh here, but kind of this pharisaical holier than thou where, you know, the, the devil puts in us to think that, that we ought to continue to rank ourselves uh, you know, especially within the church and all that does within the church is, is cause, you know, division and, and disunity. Hmm. Right. And as you said, this is an argument that comes up among Jesus disciples and it's, it's happened once already in Luke's gospel. It's going to come up again, even on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he gives them his, his last supper and they're arguing about who's the greatest. So certainly a danger, a place for us to look and examine and, and repent as needed. As, as we close out this side before the break, Pastor Busman, just talk about that last verse that Jesus wraps this parable up with, because it does seem to be part of the, the point, if not the point. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, how does that apply to us in the kingdom of God? We could have some help here going all the way back to Luke chapter 1 when the pregnant Mary visits the pregnant Elizabeth and Mary sings her Magnificat, which echoes Hannah's song from the Old Testament. But as she sings, she says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. So as, as much as she's proclaiming the, you know, the works of God there, it, it, it also does carry it, carry with it this, this warning that, that those who, that those who do exalt themselves will be humbled uh, by God. So to, to, it's an encouragement toward humility. And, and I think, you know, and maybe I'm only speaking for myself here, but that's a very, that's a, that's a very, a hard thing to to remain humble in all things to to sit in that lowest seat and to give God the glory as he as he does what he wills mm, yeah certainly a, a challenge for all of us something that the Lord would be the one to give to us as he shows us what true true humility is in himself we're going to keep talking about this text on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron here on KFU we're talking Luke 14 with Pastor John Busman we'll be right back please stick around
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, March 8th. We're studying Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24 with Pastor John Busman. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. Prior to the break, Pastor Busman, we were studying the first 11 verses. Jesus is eating with Pharisees at one of their houses. He's had occasion to teach, and he continues to have occasion. Now he's going to speak very directly to the man who invited him. So we pick up the text in verse 12. He, Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Luke 14, verses 12 to 24. So Pastor Busman, as Jesus turns to the man who invited him particularly to address him, this time, whereas the advice Jesus gave, if you call it advice, in the parable he told, the, the advice makes sense from an earthly perspective. This one, the advice doesn't seem to make as much sense from an earthly perspective. He talks about who who you ought to invite to your party, Again, what what's the point Jesus is making? How does that apply, again, to the kingdom of heaven? Right. So in the same way that, that Jesus has really already set up a distinction between the their tradition, whether, whatever rabbi it's coming from, whatever document it's coming from, and his word and his actions, he's also setting up the distinction, again, in the way that, in the way that the Pharisees operate, because they're more in, in tune and in line uh, with their tradition in the way that Jesus does, who's in line with the actual Word of God. And we see this as a, as a problem for the Pharisees, really, and, and a source of their antagonism toward Jesus in the fact that he does go to the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind in his ministry. Uh, you know, what were their expectations of the Messiah? What were their expectations of the king, right? They have everything in order. So should a, 
if Jesus is the Messiah, shouldn't he be in their house anyway? Shouldn't he be commending them for their uh, long flowing robes and their long prayers in the marketplaces and their greetings in the marketplaces and things like this? But no, Jesus, Jesus is completely turning their worldview upside down, just like, again, uh, from, from the Magnificat, that they're, they're doing it wrong. They're focused on the wrong things. They're focused on worldly glory, worldly honor, and they've got everything backwards. Because, again, with their tradition, their focus is not on loving and caring for their neighbor, but loving and caring for themselves and their own appearances. So in terms of the way what Jesus tells them to do then, you know, give a dinner and banquet and don't invite the people who can pay you back, invite the people who can't do anything for you now. How how literally is he is he saying that? I mean, is is this the kind of like so and I'm I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not trying to to I just like so when I go think about who should I invite to church? Should I invite only the people Jesus lists? I mean, how do, how does this apply to our life as Christians in the church in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, is the, is there a very literal sense, or is it more of you know a, a parable again? How do we how do we take this? That's another really really good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean it's it's for everybody, right? The Pharisees, the Pharisees need Jesus too. It's clear that they 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 didn't think that they needed him. Uh, they, they will come to know, some of them at least, will come to know that they, that they need him uh, when Pentecost rolls around. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, you don't just keep people out because you don't think that, uh, that, they, should, that they should be out. You know, the church has, uh, you know, over the years kind of taken on this more of a kind of country club mentality. Mm-hmm. And even different communities, right? You know, if you go to a certain church, well, you're that's where that's where you know you go if you want to be something in town or whatever. You know, maybe it's not so much like that in different parts of the country, but you know, we're still down here in Alabama, where at least at least some people still believe in Jesus. <laughs> but but uh, it, it it can we can kind of get this way, you know? If well, if if these certain people come, well, again, I may not be given that public honor that I think I need. You know, it's a lot different maybe from a public persona. Well, if, if you have the church where, you know, so-and-so from the city council or mayor or house of representatives or football coach or baseball team or whatever, like, oh, if that's the place, well, that's the place, you know, they they deserve the seats of honor because they do this, this, and this maybe according to the world. But if in your church, you know, you just have all these people who are in need, you know, well, who wants to go there? But is, doesn't, isn't that who Jesus calls us to be as children, as needy and dependent, yeah. the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind? Uh, so, yeah, there, there's, I guess it's kind of a both and, right? You, you, you want to make disciples of all nations, but you, you certainly don't want to, discount or dismiss a certain group just because you, you think it may make you look bad or something like this. But the, the fair, this is, this is so beyond anything that the Pharisees at this point could think about because the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind were the ones that they wanted out, right? There's something, there's something wrong with you. And again, if you go back into the tradition and read more of that as, as much as you can, 
you'll see. I mean, they had very specific rules about uh, about all of these things and who was not, who could not come in, and, and all of this. So Jesus is, is turning their their worldview upside down at this point. Mm, yeah, and I, I mean, I think what you're talking there about, you know, which group do I want, and and I think the way the Pharisees are looking at it is is that. And the way that we in our sinful nature would look at it too is I'm, I'm going to invite or I'm going to be around people who can do something in return for me. You know, I, I'm going to, to extend this invitation to the banquet to you because I'm expecting something and probably something greater in return. It's that, that same idea of honor and shame that, you know, here I, I'm trying to jockey for that position of highest honor and somehow I'm going to, to use you being president at my banquet that somehow that's going to end up in greater honor for me. And Jesus basically just throws all that out the window and says, no, no, don't, don't even make it about how they can honor you in the future or now rather just do something for the sake of your neighbor, you know, and, and whoever that is then. And so to, to really kind of shock the Pharisees here, he lists the people that he lists. But when we think about, you know, our, our life as Christians today and the people that we reach out to, you know, don't, don't make it about how can this person make me look good rather just do something for the good of that person seek to serve your neighbor and let that be that and and then you know and i think this is where this matter of being repaid at the resurrection of the just comes in don't try to earn your reward by what you do rather let god be the one to bestow the honor the you know all the gifts upon you don't seek it for yourself but rather let God be the one to give it to you, recognizing that it may not come until the resurrection of, of the just. And I think I, at least that's kind of how I tie some of these things together in these couple of verses. No, I, I, I certainly agree. And we just see this so much through the gospels with, with Jesus. We even see it with the apostle Paul in, in the book of Acts. I mean, consider his first missionary journey where he, he goes along through the land and he winds up, you know, angry, angry Jews wind up following him and stoning him. Right. And what does he do? But go right back to the towns that sent people to stone him. You know, it would have been very easy to, for Paul to say, no, nope, you know, forget you. You don't, you don't deserve the gospel, but he doesn't. He goes to them and says, look, no, you, you, you need it most of all because you, you're not, you're not understanding. You did this to me, but, you know, you you need this word, and that's ultimately who who gets the word and who doesn't get the word is is not for us to determine, right? The sower has sown his seed all over the place. It's his what he does with it, but it's not for us to decide who who gets it and who doesn't. So, what Jesus says there about you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just that might be a little uh, confusing to us. So, what does that mean to be repaid at the resurrection of the just? All right, I think I think it's very easy. Uh, out of context to to make this some kind of works righteousness. Uh, but again, we, we need to keep this in context, and especially in the context of 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 both parables, you know, where the Pharisees are looking for repayment now. They want, you know, you come you come to my feast this weekend, I'll go to your feast next weekend, and kind of, you know, using one another as kind of a stepladder through you know, through society, you know, living fat and happy as they, as they want to. So they want their repayment today when, again, you know, you've, you've mentioned over and over and over, how does this kind of work into the kingdom of God, where if we're, if we're kind of kingdom oriented people, 
we're not so concerned with tomorrow, right? Jesus even says this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah. Tomorrow has enough concern for itself. We, we couldn't care less about just tomorrow because we're con- considering and thinking eternally yeah. and eternity. And maybe somebody doesn't have tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we think the one who's going to repay us tomorrow doesn't get tomorrow. We don't get repaid anyway, so it doesn't matter. Right. We need to be concerned with the word that goes forth today, knowing that it could it could it could change somebody's eternity. Just really what happens today, what happens even here on the radio. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Anytime the word goes forth, the Holy Spirit is active, creating faith when and where he pleases. So God be praised. Now, one one of the people at the banquet then, someone who's reclining there at table with him, he hears what Jesus is saying, and he he speaks a beatitude. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, which I think I think that's true. Blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But it sounds like maybe Jesus reshapes his expectations about who those will be? Is that kind of, I mean, because Jesus is going to tell a parable in response to this this man speaking up. Is that kind of what, is, is he saying he's wrong or is he is he reshaping what he's what he's saying? What's the, how does this back and forth work before we dig into the details of this parable? Sure, and, and even if, even if this guy gets it right, even if this, even if this man understands that Jesus has brought the reign and the rule of God there and and here they are eating bread together on the Sabbath with God in their midst. Mm. Uh, you know, blessed are we, in other words, mm. perhaps, yeah. but blessed are those who will eat in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is going to make sure he's going to bookend this section with the blind, the crippled, the lame again, just like he introduced to the section. But yeah, maybe he's reori- reorienting this man to say, you know what, the, uh, the, the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God, isn't necessarily what you think it's going to be. You know, maybe maybe you are not a self-righteous Pharisee, but maybe you're one of the righteous Pharisees, and maybe you have things kind of in order, but it's still not going to look like what you think. So as we look at this parable, this is one question I like to ask when it comes to parables. This is a slightly longer parable, so I think we could maybe give it a name. In the ESV, it suggests that this could be called the parable of the great banquet. Uh, sometimes uh, titles for parables they're good, I think, but sometimes they can they orient our focus on something in particular. What do you what what title do you think we ought to give this parable, Pastor Busman? What's the oh, What's the focus of this parable? Is it the great banquet? Is it the Is it the one who gives the feast? It is Is it the rejection of the guests? I don't know. I mean, where do Where do you see the focus yeah, lying? Is, a, is the question I'm asking? Question. You know, later we get the parable of the. This is another in the very, well, chapter 16, you get the parable of the dishonest manager. And I think that's probably better titled the parable of the merciful master. Right, right. Um, I don't know. You know, if we want to keep the focus on the master, I don't don't know. The the parable of the the great banquet, the the banquet of the master. Now, if you wanted to put the focus on the people— uh, I don't know that it's necessarily radio appropriate. <laughs> but, the, the ungrateful so, guests, perhaps. Yeah, that's that's probably yeah. You're you, you're 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 nicer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so, I guess yeah. the the question, and that's right. Why, why I like to think about this is because sometimes you know, and again, to to look forward a little bit. The, as it's going to be often called, the parable of the prodigal son makes you think about that first son who's who who takes his dad's stuff and and wastes it. Whereas maybe the focus of that parable is elsewhere. 
so with the the title here, you know, again, just a, a an exercise to try to think, okay, where do I want to put my focus here? Is it going to be on the guests who don't come? Is it going to be on the master's gracious invitation to the the blind, the crippled, the lame, the people from everywhere? You know, where are we going to put that focus? I guess is kind of the the reason for that question. And I, it, it's maybe a little bit harder to to pinpoint here. I think most of the time, it's it's good that we keep our focus on that main character, the one who does the inviting or the calling or the sowing of the seed, because that is often the the figure for God in the parable. So let, I don't know that we can get a title for it, but maybe that's that's at least a helpful conversation to, to try to keep our focus where it belongs. So as we try to to understand this parable, Pastor Busman, let's just make sure we understand the the story that Jesus is telling in an earthly sense, because there's some some things here that maybe don't match up with the way that we give wedding feasts today. What, tell us about the, the initial invitations, and then particularly these excuses that are offered. What's what's going on here? Sure. So this is not again. This is not something that an invitation would have gone out yesterday for a banquet today or even last week for a banquet today i mean these things were you hear you hear the word banquet and that's that's top of the line here you know you you brought up a you know a wedding and in the case of a wedding you know you you would have had even a year Mm -hmm. a year's notice for something like this so to have been invited and to then refuse to have not made plans or to come up with an excuse would have been highly insulting uh, to the to the master in this culture. I mean, you 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 would have prepared your life around this. Everybody's looking forward to it. You know, you kind of get a sense. And and we don't. I don't think we necessarily get wedding here, but yeah, that's kind of what comes to mind. But you think of Cana, right? I mean, Jesus and Mary and the twelve. They're coming from Capernaum. They're coming from from all around and, and everybody's making it a point to be there because you're not going to miss the banquet, which makes it all the more shocking, not only that these different people don't come, but their excuses are just atrocious for <laughs> the reasons that they won't come. You know, this, this shows up in the very beginning of, uh, of the season after Trinity. Uh, if you're on the, historical lectionary, I'm sure it comes up in the series C very early in the season after Pentecost as well. I, I don't know that for uh, for sure, but I would imagine it does. But th- these excuses, we hear a, a, a parallel text to this at the very end of the season after Trinity where uh, the, the master doesn't just get angry, but he actually goes through the city and burns the city. So this is almost like the nicer version of you bet. You better heed. You better heed the call of the master of the, of the banquet. But the excuse is what I've bought a field and I must go see it. Well, did you not check it out before you bought it? <laughs> is that is that the thrust of the excuse, or do you just you know you bought it? You say, oh, I want to you know I want to I want to see this magnificent field that I bought. I just want to go look at it some. I uh, bought five yoke of oxen and I need to examine this. Well, again, is this a examination? Before or after you bought them? Did you not examine them? Did you just throw money out there? I mean, is it is it that foolish of an excuse? Or I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So no excuse even is given there. It's just I got married and I can't come. Mm. Well, you know, would you not want to, you know, maybe go to this thing together? Right. Uh, so the the excuses are are just 
you know, and again, with plenty of notice for the banquet, knowing knowing that it's coming, you would think that they would at least come up with a little better excuses than just than these. They may as well just not have said anything at all. Sure. Which they don't do in the, in the parallel text in Matthew. I don't I don't think they say anything at all. I just think they they don't come. Right, and I think even in the in the parallel text in Matthew, I think they they mistreat the servants who come and, and extend invitations. If I'm that's right. if I'm not mistaken, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it, that's uh, why he burns their city. That's right. So I mean, in in any number of ways, this is just there's no good reason for them not to come. And and probably most important, trying to tie some of these things together that Jesus has been saying is the one who's done the inviting in the first place. He's the one who's giving the honor to to go back to the idea of choosing seats. He's the one who who gives the the resurrection, right? What Jesus has just said. When you think about who this master is, then to to decline an invitation from him is a terrible insult, and and you lose out on all the good things that he wants to give. Now, this what's amazing about this master is that he wants to give the gifts, and he's going to give them to someone. So he he's rejected, but then he has his servants go out and find anybody and everybody. How how does that play into the parable? Right. So he he becomes angry. I, I don't think we need to you know leave this out. We kind of have this uh, romanticized view of of God in some places of the scriptures, especially if people want to do the quote unquote Old Testament God and New Testament God and divide things like that as we should not. But the master becomes angry and he says, again, that bookend to previous, uh, the previous text up in verse 13, go to the streets and the lanes and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. So bring the, the ones who, who you don't think should even be here or invited bring them in um, and then, right, look, we've already done that. We, In other words, we heard your word from before. We've done this already, but still there is room. And he says, then go out everywhere uh, and, and compel the people to, to come in that his house may be filled, right? His house, God's house will be filled. Mm. There, there's no question about this. In the end, his house will be filled, and uh, and, and we need not uh, turn away uh, from his from his banquet. And that's that's exactly what the Pharisees uh, what the Pharisees have done. Mm. Yeah, and I think that I mean that really helps tie together than the question or not the question that's asked, but the the statement that's given to Jesus that prompts this: "Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God." And the way you, you said it, I think, you know, it's almost as if he's saying, well, blessed are, are we here eating bread right now? And Jesus says, well, yes, but make sure you're actually a part of the ones in the banquet. And and the way is Jesus, right? What do you think of, of Jesus? Are you receiving him and his teaching? Then yes, blessed are you. But to the Pharisees who are rejecting Jesus and his teaching, which is going to, that's going to grow as the gospel of Luke goes on, then you are those who have been invited, but you're saying, no, I don't want this. And you're making really bad excuses. And so, you know, yeah, a call to repentance, I think, for the, the Pharisees, certainly here, because God is going to bring people into his kingdom through his son, Jesus. The, the call is receive him, receive him in faith. We've got about three minutes here, Pastor Busman, to, to kind of wrap this this text up. How do, I mean, lots of things here. I think I think it does tie all together with some of these themes of eating and honor and shame. You know, help us to, to wrap this up and, and see, even in the, the midst of a call of repentance to the Pharisees, to see good news, the gospel in this text. Sure, yeah. I mean, we, we have the warning that's very clear for, for those who 
maybe rank themselves as, as greater or, or less than. We have a warning for those who refuse the master's banquet, uh, a warning against those who think that they can navigate the law on their own. But yeah, the, the, the gospel is that through our baptism into Christ, we have, we have been called to the master's feast. And we, and we pray that we would constantly be hearing that word, that call through faithful pastors to, to return to that feast. And, uh, and even if, and even if we've been away for a while, that the master, that the door's still open, right? That the master's still, uh, still calling. And no matter, no matter where our place is within his kingdom, um, it is, it is a seat of honor. And, uh, through the, through the blood of Jesus, that's who he has made us as his children, all heirs of his kingdom. Yeah. And that, that is good news. And I like what you said about the master. He is still calling right now, repent, <laughs> believe in the gospel today. The invitation is there for you. He sends his messengers out to call you into the feast, receive that invitation. Don't make excuses, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Pastor John Busman is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama, helping us today with Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. Pastor Busman, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. Again, a blessed Lent to you all. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 14 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.